Well, hey, everybody. Uh, it's good to be with you. My name is Evan. I'm one of the pastors at TLC. If I haven't met you, if I have met you, you know, I miss you guys. Uh, I'm looking forward to when we can meet again. Uh, I'm, I'm very honored to to preach for you today. I'm sorry if I sound a little tired. This is like the fifth introduction I've recorded, okay? Uh, the battery went out. I was like, oh, man, maybe maybe the Spirit's trying to tell me something. I'm like, no, 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 let's start over. <laughs> maybe. I, I'm not sure. Well, we are in a series called The Way of the Lamb. The Way of the Lamb. Uh, we are looking at uh, the book of Revelation. And uh, the book of Revelation, very interesting book, right? A lot of pastors are a little bit nervous around it. A, a lot of Christians, to be honest, uh, are a little nervous around it because it, it's a, a much different genre than what we're used to. Uh, we're used to epistles. We like epistles. Those are written letters where there's lots of plenty of instruction and we can really get into it. But when we look at apocalyptic literature, which is what the book of Revelation is, suddenly we're a little perplexed because there's so many different genres going around. Now, early on, we're in luck, okay? They are epistles indeed, but there's lots of symbolism in them. And so we're going to unpack uh, what Jesus had spoken to several of these, in fact, seven of these early churches. We're going to see a pattern over and over again as we go of an introduction from Jesus to the, the church, uh, where there's some sort of title to, to uh, give them, uh, of himself to them. A commendation, a condemnation, and uh, a promise, right? That's generally kind of the flow of all of these letters. And the first week we learned about the church of Ephesus, that they were hardworking. They were, they were so faithful to that. And, and they, they held fast against sin, but then they forgot their love. They forgot the love of Jesus and, and people. And so we learned about that. We learned about the church of Smyrna last week. They were the faithful ones. They didn't have any condemnation. Isn't that good? It's like, hey, you know what? You just need to hold on. Just hold tight. Just be faithful. Look at me. Stick to me, says Jesus. And just, just, just hold fast, okay? Well, this week is kind of the opposite church from that church. We're looking at the church of Pergamum. Church of Pergamum was, uh, well, it's it's the Church of Compromise. It's the Church of Compromise. And that's what we're going to be talking about. That's the main topic today is what compromise looks like. We're going to look at the context of these early Christians uh, in terms of, of, of compromise, what, what they did well, what they were failing at, and then finally how... Uh, what, what Jesus did to promise things which can help them overcome uh, their, their attitudes of compromise. And they still apply to us as a church and as individuals today. Compromise might not sound like such a bad thing at first. I mean, after all, we sometimes compromise in business, right? Okay, we didn't like that figure. Let's send this. Maybe everybody, each party agrees to sacrifice or compromise a little bit, just a little bit, a little percentage. That way, everybody equally can be happy. In the same way, you might compromise in uh, your in an argument, in, in a relationship with your spouse or a friend or a co-worker in, in how to do things generally is what it is, right? Okay, uh, how about this? I'll do this if you do that. Okay, sounds good. So each party lost a little, but they all gain in that they can all move forward. But what, what happens when it comes to compromise in your beliefs or in your faith? What happens to compromise in that? That could be quite dangerous. Let me put it into you in a different context to show you that compromise can also be quite dangerous, right? Compromising security, for example. Let's say your drinking water was unsafe just 1% of the time. 1% of the time your drinking water is unsafe. That's three to four days out of the year. You don't know what days, okay? 365 days out of the year. That's 3.65 days out of a year that you don't know if what you're drinking is going to make you sick. Now it's a little bit scary, right? Now it's very real. There's a very real threat. Well, there is actually also a very real threat to your, your faith and your spiritual growth in compromise. So let's get into the Word of God. Let's, let's look at this church in Pergamum. Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through, where am I going? 17. To the angel or the messenger in the church of the church in Pergamum, write, These are the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even the days of Antipas, 
my faithful witness who has put to death in, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the white uh, of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. All right, let's pray over this word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that we have these writings to the seven churches, Lord, uh, and that they are so still so relevant to us today who butt up against so many different temptations, so many different uh, pressures to, to compromise in our faith in you, to compromise what your word says, to compromise coming after you. God, will you protect us? Will you open up our eyes as we and our ears and our hearts and our minds as we are reading through this, God, that we may see uh, the many different ways that we uh, surrender to other powers that are trying to allure us, that are trying to distract us from coming after you, the one who had fought for us, the one who died and rose again for us. Lord, may your death and resurrection not be in vain. And may you win out in the hearts of your people this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So the ancient city of Pergamum, to the angel and the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Whoa, that's pretty big. Okay, Pergamum, or modern Bergama in Turkey, uh, it's, all of these churches were pretty much in, in modern Turkey, was the seat of power in the east. Okay, Rome, in the Roman Empire, Rome obviously was kind of the big one in the middle. But in the east, uh, Pergamo sort of acted as like a Washington, D.C. of sorts. Okay, it was sort of the capital. Uh, church fathers and uh, other writers of the time had called it mo the most distinguished city in the east. Okay, the most distinguished Oh, look at my beard, right? Distinguished city. It was also known as the finest flower of Greek civilization. Hey, the finest flower. This was this was all of Greek civilization refined. It sat on top of a hill about a thousand feet up. It is still there. The ruins are are still there. You could check them out uh, on you know one of the Earth apps or whatever you want. It was known as a very academic place, okay? Uh, it was, a, they had a library there, okay, with over 200,000, 200,000 volumes handwritten on their own published papyrus. That is huge. Remember, they didn't have the book press. They didn't have a machine. They didn't have PDF. They actually sat and wrote their own books. They republished things. And it was the second largest library in the world at the time. I believe Alexandria was, was the only one that beat it. Okay. So very academic culture, very sophisticated culture. It also had many different temples. There was a temple of Zeus. There was a temple of uh, Asclepios, uh, of Detimer, of Athena, of Dionysus. And all of these represented different things, including power. Asclepios was medicine. Uh, in fact, Asclepios was, uh, fun fact, depicted as a snake on a stick. And if you know what the medical symbol looks like today, it's a snake on a stick. Okay, things haven't really changed a whole lot. The idea was you go to this temple and it was filled with snakes. And the thought at the time uh, was that if a snake kind of slithers over you, it will take your sickness or whatever, right? So you lay on the floor, you get a little bit drunk first, the priest gets you drunk, okay? And then uh, this temple filled with snakes would just, they would slither all over you. So there you go. Didymer was the uh, god of harvest or commerce or prosperity. So you'd go and pray to him and make, give alms and hopefully you'd get, you know, there's a prosperity gospel right there. 
Athena is the goddess of wisdom, okay? I don't know, she didn't have a beard, but <laughs> wisdom, okay? Dionysus is the god of pleasure or entertainment, okay? So you can only imagine the kind of fun things that would go on at that temple, orgies and whatnot. And finally, it was also, uh, Pergama had a, a very special temple dedicated to Caesar, Okay, it was it was dedicated to Caesar Augustus, and it was one of the first places. In fact, it was the first place uh, in, in in the Roman Empire that was allowed to have this imperial cult. Okay, and so they were. It was kind of a seat of power in that way as well. There was a lot of military around. There was a lot of imperial uh, soldiers and and presence there because that was sort of the eastern hub in the Roman Empire. So the imperial cult was known as wielding a sword, and it was the sword of judgment. They had the authority in the eastern wing of the empire to do whatever they want. They can execute whatever they want. The proconsul had a lot of authority from the emperor. And because of this also, because of this giant temple uh, erected to, uh, to, the, the, to Emperor Augustus, you had to come and make uh, a sacrifice once a year. Otherwise, you can be very heavily persecuted, right? You come and make a, a sacrifice to Caesar and you declare him as savior and God and you throw in some things into the fire, you bow and you take off and that's all you had to do, okay, once a year. And if you didn't, uh, well, things may not look so good for you. That, that uh, two-handed sword uh, of authority could be used to lob your head off very easily. So all of these different temples, all of these different gods, all of these different competing kingdoms, and here you are as a Christian who just heard, you just returned from a pilgrimage in Jerusalem, you heard about Jesus, you're like, oh my gosh, the Messiah has come, you've committed your life to him, you've spent time in fellowship to him, and now you come back into this city of Pergamum. And there were many different things to tempt you, there was a lot of different social pressures around to yield to. You had to deal somehow with this culture. You've been instructed by your Lord Jesus to be in the world, but not of it. And how do you hold that in a healthy tension? Well, we today still have a lot of, a lot of these, these, these tensions, both inward and outward, okay? There are a lot of temptations that get us to, uh, to compromise in our faith. In other words, not to listen to what Jesus has to say on a topic, but instead to just go along with what we're used to in the culture. It's normal and it seems okay. For these Christians, uh, death, of course, was the ultimate thing. Now, in this country and in this context right now, Maybe you don't face death for not yielding to the many voices and many uh, temptations around you. But I can say this, that you certainly are at risk of being canceled in this culture. If you don't follow a certain God or a certain way, if you don't speak and conduct yourself in a way that is conducive to those who are worshiping at all of these other temples around you, if you don't pay tribute in a certain way in a certain camp, Man, you could be cast as one of them. You could lose your reputation. You could lose friends on Facebook. People won't listen to you anymore. So there's a lot of temptation right now for us to just yield and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to be for whatever you're for. It's okay. But Jesus, yeah, right? Isn't that what we do? And I'm not saying that all of these things, we'll get into it in a little bit, but we're not saying that uh, all of these things, of course, are evil or bad. But we should be very alert and very careful what it is that, uh, that we put our faith in, what we put our trust in, what we are advocating and pushing for. Okay, I'm going to say some things today that uh, it, it may be emotionally triggering. Okay, we're in a very emotional time. Uh, we're in an atmosphere of assimilation, of association, of anger, of assumption. Okay, there's a triple A atmosphere, boom. We have attitudes of assumption, of anger. So now more than ever, it, it's very crucial that we listen to one another and listen to what the word of God has to say on a topic. Okay, 
that's all I'm calling you to do today. That's all that Tony uh, asked you to do last week is just to remain faithful to what Jesus says. Okay. So I, I understand that some of these topics are hard. Uh, we've had, we actually had a five-week series on racial reconciliation. We know that that's a tough topic. Okay. Uh, a lot of people didn't come out uh, for the, the talk in the breakout rooms. I was a little bit sad about that because here we have an opportunity to now talk about these things. And if you want that, if you want more of that, please message. Please put it down here in the comments. Please uh, message me privately. Let us know how we can help, okay? Because we want to have healthy discussion. We want to learn how to listen because there is a world that is shouting many different things. And you might find yourself being one of them. But be careful because the message you might send might compromise somebody else's faith as well, okay? Now back to the scripture. I might have to do several of these where I pause and just say, hey, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying that, okay? Because I know that right now it's a very sensitive time, okay? But please hear my heart, okay? Please listen, okay? We're not always the best, especially under uh, the circumstances that we are where we don't have a lot of time to write things out and think things through. But please listen to what uh, the Word of God at least has to say, okay? And please listen to the heart <laughs> behind the message, all right? There are two things here uh, that kind of stand out just in the introduction, okay? Notice when we are reading through these things, what Jesus calls himself, okay? The title and, and the things that he says surrounding himself at the very beginning. He says, they, these are the words in verse 12 of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Now that's kind of a, that's kind of a scary thing if you think about it to say. Imagine getting a note from somebody at work and you open it up and it says the one with the sharp sword says this, you know? <laughs> I'm watching you. That might kind of get your attention, right? Well, it should frighten us a little bit, knowing that Jesus is the ultimate judge. What he's saying is, you know that big double-edged sword that hangs in the proconsul's office that is reserved for judgment and for those in authority? I am the one. Jesus is the one with the ultimate authority to speak into things. I am the one. Jesus is the one that has absolute objective judgment over all things. That should scare us a little bit. Okay? It should scare us if he has something against us. If we are not in the right about something. That should scare us very much. Because we are at imminent risk of death. Spiritual death. And we know that that will also result <laughs> in a life of troubles, if not physical death. Okay? It is a very scary thing to be on that side of the sword. On the other hand, it should also give us a lot of comfort, especially at a time where so many have become judges. So many uh, voices that I see online that are wearing judges outfits and, and ha uh, hammering the gavel and saying, no, this is what it is. And if you say this, I will defriend you. This is what I'm for. And if you believe the opposite, you're one of them in this box. And we are painting a lot of lines very quickly as a nation, as a world, even as a community here, where it is blocking our, our, um, our ability to listen to one another. Here, so many are fighting for, open your eyes, why don't you see this? But yet we're becoming more and more blind. And we're so quick to judge one another in such a sensitive world where each word has to be balanced so carefully. But Jesus comes in and says, look, I am ultimate judge of all things. Listen to what I have to say to you. It should give us some comfort knowing that there is actually a third party, okay, who sees all things. Jesus goes on to say, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. That uh, We talked about this a little bit, the idea of having competing kingdoms. Now, back in that day, the different gods, Zeus, Didymer, uh, uh, Athena, Dionysus, Asclepios, these were all different uh, gods of the time. But there was this spirit that was behind them. Okay? And we talk about this in the book of Revelation. What John saw was like, man, I, I see all these happening and then I'm hearing all these different things and he's really seeing things for what they were that behind all of these, these evils and these, these evil atrocities that were happening 
was this spirit, this demonic spirit of Satan and his demons that were stirring the pot, that were putting influences and, and whisperings into the hearts of men, of godless men who were saying, yeah, you know what? I like that. Let's do that. And sometimes it would even disguise itself as being something good. Oh, yeah, you know what? Sex is good. It feels good. We all agree. It's good. Let's all fornicate. Hey, didn't God... Well, you, there you go. God created sex. All right, then let's do it. Hey, you know what? God put grapes in the earth. Let's make wine. Let's just keep drinking. Why? Why stop? Why limit yourself? Okay, so there was all of these different things, but behind the actions of mankind, okay, there was this spirit of chaos, of, of evil, of rebellion against a loving God. It was a spirit of fear and insecurity that would be driven into the hearts of men who would come up with wicked things. Okay, that's not to, I'm not saying, hey, you know, let's just excuse them for their actions. It was just a little demon. No, they're still to be judged. That you, you, There's still consequences and there's still judgment. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Okay. I know where you live. I see the pressures. I know that you live right there in the heart of it, in the thick of it. Where Satan's throne is, you are, in other words, surrounded. I get it. But I want to tell you that I am the one, ultimately, who judges. I will judge all of those. <laughs> and be careful yourself, right? Nevertheless, okay? Well, let's, let's, let's actually move on where it says, Yet you remain true to my name, okay? You don't renounce your faith. So that's great. These Christians were saying, okay, I am surrounded by these pressures to cave in. You know, I, I, I feel pressured. Like, if I don't go to this temple, I'm going to be excluded from this. And I want to be in the world, but I don't want to be of the world. But I want to share about Jesus. But, if I, but I want to remain my faith, but I want to keep my life. And so there's all these different pressures to be uh, upheld, these expectations to be upheld. Otherwise, your life will be canceled. Okay. But yet they did say, I'm still a Christian. Okay, so they're holding two things. It is possible to say I'm a Christian, but yet still do these other things. And this is what Jesus is getting at. Okay, this is what God is getting at here. That you call yourself a Christian. You call yourself one of mine. And you are. Mm, but nevertheless, right? There was one that was mentioned here. He says, you did not you did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas. We don't know who Antipas is. He was some sort of, obviously, leader in the church who, well, he held fast even unto death. He was likely one of those who had his, well, actually, tradition says that he was roasted in a pot, believe it or not. In other words, he was next. He was killed because of his faith. My faithful witness, or martyr, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives, okay? It's not surprising that we see some of the crazy things that we see around us, okay? We see rioting, we see looting, we see systemic racism. And we know that behind all of these influences, okay, all of these things are actually demonic powers, okay? But Jesus ultimately sees that and will judge, okay? This is tied to the rest of the book of Revelation, Okay, we see at the very end that Jesus triumphs over all. He casts out all evil. He reigns supreme. He comes back. He, he fully establishes his kingdom and his people. So that is the hope. Know that. I'll come back to that in a little bit. Let's get on to what some of these, some of these pressures and some of these compromises were. Verse 14, Nevertheless, I have these things against you. There are some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Okay, let's pause right there. This compromise happened in the Old Testament. Balaam in Numbers 22 through 25, I believe it is. Numbers 22 through 25, we meet this guy Balaam, who's renowned for his ability to speak curses and blessing, right? Especially curses. So other kings in the area would say, okay, you're really good at uttering curses of other gods in order to uh, denounce that god and bring down their society. So Balak, who's the king of uh, Moab, uh, uh, comes in and says, hey, uh, Balaam, I'll pay you really well. Can you go and curse Israel? So he goes several times. He goes again and again, and he just can't utter a curse. This was the whole one, uh, the whole story of the donkey speaking. Okay, back to Balaam, right? Uh, so check it out. It's a crazy story, but Numbers 22 through 25. But after that, something interesting happens. So he can't curse Israel. He can't curse the people of God. He just can't. 
But what he does do is he tells the king, Balak, hey, here's what you can do. Why don't you get some of your, your hottest women and uh, some of your best food and why don't you just entice them? Why don't you win them over that way? Because truly, you know, you make them like one of you, then suddenly they're not your enemy anymore, are they? Hmm. Very evil. Very evil indeed. In modern days, uh, in I have heard stories of uh, places like in India, where there were there was a hot spot of Christianity that was breaking out, and there were many different government officials of other religions who said, no, 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 we don't like these Christians. You know what we should do? Persecute them heavily. And if you persecute them heavily enough, then, you know, they won't want to be Christian and they'll just conform. But you know what uh, one wise advisor, one very evil advisor said to the governing official? He said, no, 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 no. Let's start opening up gambling halls and let's start opening up strip clubs and let's start opening up all of these other worldly things to entice the Christians. Because then they'll just dissipate into our culture again and they will ruin themselves this is more so how the enemy works this is more so how satan works okay because he knows very well that if i were to just come straight up at you in your face if imagine if there was a movement if whatever movement or government thing that you believe in comes and says you know what we're anti-jesus you'd probably pull out really fast but what if they were to say well yeah, why don't you come in? You could be whatever you want to be, but you know, all you have to do is a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's very easy to listen to that music. It's very easy to taste a little bit of that food. It's very, it's just a little bit, it's just 1%. No big deal. All you have to do is sign this thing. That's scary, but that is so subtle. And that is the way that we can get lost so easily when we lose sight of what Jesus is actually saying. Okay, if we're not putting Jesus first in our minds, again, I'm not decrying academia. I'm not in the medical field, uh, entertainment, sex. Okay, Jesus I, cares about all of these things. Let me let me put a pause right here for a minute. Okay, because here's what I think. Here's what I'm feeling from many of you, that the church just doesn't care. Maybe you think the church does not care about what's going on in the world. Let's say race relations, BLM, um, systemic racism which is the hottest topic. Maybe you don't think he cares about freedom or coronavirus or statues or masks or defund the police or any of these things. And so you feel like I need to do something right away because these are active and angry and alive and I feel angry and I want to align myself with that because the church is just sitting there saying it's all spiritual. It's not new, you guys. None of this stuff is new. Systemic racism is nothing new. Okay, slavery is nothing new. It is unique in our context. But when we say as a church, no, we, we need to come together. It is a spiritual issue. That doesn't mean that we're not active. It doesn't mean that we're being passive. It does not mean that we sit around and say, well, I don't really care about that. Now, 50 years ago, maybe you've looked into history and you see that many, uh, especially in the, in the Anglo church and the white church in America, yeah, they said on the sidelines as Martin Luther King was trying to get their support. And maybe there's a lot of white guilt and maybe there's a lot of guilt on all of us as a church that wants to say, no, you know what? Now is the time to rise up. So let's get out and do something. But it's not rooted necessarily in the gospel. It's rooted in another human institution with its own agenda. And it's enticing it's enticing because they will say something that says, hey, you should support this. Isn't it a godly thing? Isn't that what God would want you to do? And we say, well, yeah, systemic racism is evil. Yeah, slavery is an evil institution. And all of the trickery that happened to African Americans and many others, yeah, it's, it is disgusting. We despise it. And that is not the kingdom of God. And so they say, okay, man, let's go. Let's fix the problem. But that's where we say, well, hold, hold on, hold on. I'm not saying don't fix the problem, but we got to do it with God in mind. And that's where the break happens. Because if you do it without God, do you think it's going to be any better? Who's going to be in charge? Who's running the show? Another human being. Another human being who likely is not listening to Jesus. Okay, we don't know. 
But we're putting so much trust into a human institution? Well, you have to vote for this president after all, you know, because that's the right party, right? Because they're for compassion or they're for principle or they're for the Bible or they're for whatever. So let's put all of our trust in that. It's another human being. We respect them. We honor them. We're called to. But at the same time, if they break with God's law and compassion and love, well, then absolutely not. We're, we're not saying spit on them, despise them, throw rocks at them. Okay. But these institutions are flawed. I've actually been to two protests. Okay. I've actually been to two protests during this whole time. One of them was unwilling, okay? I was in a car and they stopped traffic and these were people yelling and cussing out the police who were just standing there trying to clear the road. The other that I had attended, again, I did not participate in either. I attended, okay? I sat on the side and just observed. Like, hmm, I wonder what this is about. And there was peaceful protests and there were not so peaceful protests. The world doesn't really have a principle or know what to do. And the spirit behind that is going to try to entice you to join it. Verse 15. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans. Okay. Okay. The Nicolaitans were introduced to us uh, back in the church of Ephesus. They were... Um, they were a group that used their freedom in Christ to turn around and justify whatever it is that they wanted to do and say, well, God is good. He's gracious. Okay. Now, there's a few ways that we compromise. Um, aside from giving in to the world and the pressures of all the different voices. By the way, again, I said it at the beginning. Just listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying when I do say something, I am not saying I am anti whatever. Okay, because and I have to do this a lot with the youth, uh, or at least I did over the years is we tend to categorize people. So the moment you hear anti this or pro this, you think that I'm completely, you know, destroying that or touching on that. Okay, so just try to listen to things for what they are. Okay. Uh, I'm trying not to mention specific uh, things that are on your mind. I let God do that for you, okay? I just trust that the Spirit will bring whatever movement or or structure or government regulation or whatever into your mind, okay? And, and I will just pray from today, it's Tuesday until Sunday, that God will bring more relevant things into your minds. But basically what I'm trying to say is this, okay? Submit and view anything that is in front of you through the lens of the kingdom of God first. That is it. Okay. But there's more to this message, so I'm going to continue on. Okay, the Nicolaitans. Okay, the Nicolaitans were those who would basically uh, tell people that it's okay uh, to do these things, right? It's not bad. God made marijuana. Why not smoke it? God made wine or grapes. Why not ferment it? Make wine, get drunk. Why not have sex with anybody? I mean, God created sex and it's a good thing. He even said it, right? So it was easy to sway many different people to to do these things and then step foot into these different, uh, these different temples or different realms or different movements, if you will, okay? I'm not tying movements to every single movement to a temple or a God. Okay. I'm not saying every movement is evil in itself. Okay. Just trying to be very clear here, guys. Okay. You can message me if you want, you go for it. But there are, there are subtle, other subtle ways that we compromise. Okay. Aside from these, the big ones that we know of, okay. Uh, of, okay. Fornication is a big one. It's never really talked about here, but I know that happens all the time. That's sex outside of marriage. Pornography seems really easy to compromise in that way. So those are ways that we compromise, but there are other ways. And, and here's a, here's a big one, uh, that I have learned from Thomas Brooks has a book here. It's a very old book. It's not a really great, um, cover or anything. Precious remedies against Satan's devices. Okay. Thomas Brooks, old, old dead guy. Uh, it's, it seems it's, it's written in old English and there's no pictures. Okay. So that's, that's my standard of a good book, obviously, <laughs> but he mentions 
uh, something that the, that the devil does, that Satan does. One of them is dressing up sin as righteous virtues or rationalizing, right? Okay. So I'll give an example uh, if I haven't already in this take because I've had to record this like 20 times of uh, going to Disneyland, okay, when it's open and going to buy a ticket for yourself and maybe a child who's four years old and maybe the cutoff is three years old uh, for a free, free admission. And what do you tell the kid? Well, just say that you're three. Four months ago, you're you're basically three anyway. So you tell the kids, say you're how old? Three. So the kids like, I'm, uh, well, I'm three, right? Oh, welcome to Disneyland, right? You just saved four hundred dollars or however much a ticket is, okay? You compromise. Well, it's just a little lie, Evan. Come on, like it's, you know what I'm doing, Evan? Here's what I'm doing. Here's how you dress up sin in righteous virtues. Okay, here, here's here's how you do it. You say. I'm just trying to save money and be a good steward of God's funds. Mm. No, you just compromised in your faith and you compromised the commandment not to lie. It's just a little just a little bit. It's just a little bit. You know what you just taught that child? That it's okay sometimes to lie. Hmm. Guess what? Flash forward 25 years when they're doing business. Or maybe they're in law. Or maybe they're in medical. And given the pressures, it seems like, well, I'm, I want to save people from hurting. So I'll just fudge a, just, a li just a little bit. And it ends up hurting somebody else. I've had several of you tell me, how, oh, yeah, we're so frugal, we're so good at this. Ha ha ha, like I'm so funny, uh, how I like to uh, manipulate. It's just a little bit, you know, just a little bit. Until it happens to you and somebody lies to you just a little bit, suddenly you, you're outraged. It was a great sin against me, okay? But dressing it up to say, well, it's just a little bit and it's for the bigger cause. And you compromise. Well, let's just mess around with my boyfriend and my girlfriend. It's just, it's just a little bit. Before you know it, you go too far. You walk right by the shop and you say, well, let me just take a peek in. It doesn't hurt to look. Soon enough, you compromise. But of course, to the Nicolaitans, they're saying, you know what? That's not compromise. It's okay. You know what? It's all good. God's got you. Okay. There's other ways that we compromise. We rely so much on the grace of God. I don't know how many of you are like, you know what? I'm just on my, I'm in party mode right now. You've been in party mode for like four or five years. Now, Jesus actually does say that like, yes, I'll give it some time for that tree to bear fruit. But if I don't see no fruit being bared, I'm going to uproot that tree. So be aware of that. Be aware that, okay, you can only walk this whole, you know, like, well, it's a growing process. And yes, we do preach that, that, hey, everybody's on their, their, own, their, own, uh, their own trail, their own path. But you also need to be accountable. Don't just keep going back and saying, well, you know, the grace of God, he got me. You don't, do you really have a relationship with Jesus or is Jesus just your salvation insurance? You're just using his death and resurrection so that you can continue your own kingdom or building some other satanic kingdom. How do you know? Be careful. Because Jesus is standing there saying, I know that you're there. And I'm holding the sword. Another way that we compromise when we compare our sin, okay? When we compare our sin to others or to worse <laughs> situations. Well, at least I didn't do what they did. Finally, when we yield in order to fit in, okay? Something that I ask uh, Christians who come to me and they say, hey, I'm in, especially I've, I've counseled uh, other Christians in the field of entertainment and, and um, film, uh, radio, television. It, it's a tough field to be in, honestly. Uh, you are pressured every day to yield to 
one community or another to say and speak a certain way, to laugh with them, to uh, decry and, and, and slander uh, other institutions. Okay, so it's very hard to be a Christian in that field where it's very openly hostile towards Christians. And some have said, you know, well, should I be in that field at all? And I'll say, well, who has more influence? Okay. Do you yield to try to fit in to a peer group or into a community? And this is very relevant for some of you. I see your Instagrams. I see your Facebook. I see that. And, you know, I said, I still love you. And I'm, I'm here to tell you the truth here. Who has more influence in your peer group? Are you bending just to be with them and to be the life of the party? Because guess what? They're not really your friends. The moment you stop dressing like them, acting like them, and actually being who you were called to be in Christ and say, hey, you know what? This is actually who I am. Jesus freed me and now I get to be who, who I really am. It doesn't mean that everything has to be Christianese that comes out of your mouth. But at the same time, just see how far that you could go being really who you are called to be in Jesus and see how long they'll hold on to your friendship. Because likely, the moment you disagree with somebody, oh, you're one of them, and you're, and you're out of the circle. Well, guess what? They were never really your friends. They just wanted you to keep up the spirit of whatever's stirring them up. They're not really your friends. They don't really want conversation. They don't really care about who you are. But God does. Okay? Who has more influence? Do you have more influence than them? It's okay to hang out with people who party. It's okay to hang out with really anybody but just bear in mind who has more influence are they influencing you more because it's really easy to compromise and sin when we're there trying to be in the world but not of it let's move on verse 16 repent therefore otherwise i will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth with my very word right Repent. What does repent mean? It means to turn back towards God. Turn towards God. Now, I don't want to tell you repent in the sense of like, you better come, or we're going to kill you. It's not out of a sense of fear. Okay. Repent. In other words, come back to Jesus. Come back to what God actually has to say, to what Jesus actually has to say about the truth. Don't be manipulated any longer. You can think for yourself. But listen first to what your Heavenly Father has to say. Read through Scripture. Think deeply about these things. Now again, I want to, I want to tell you a few things uh, as, as you're coming in repentance. Okay, here's, here's three very practical steps Okay, of what you could do. I mentioned a little bit earlier, if it made it into the edit, <laughs> this is probably going to be really interesting. Praise God for Kayla, okay? She has to edit all this stuff. Uh, I've had like multiple camera malfunctions in this sermon. It's been really interesting. This is probably my 20th take now. I think the sunset already. I'm not sure. Um, here's three things because I think a lot of you, again, uh, are thinking, but really, what do we do as a church? We see things going on in the world. What can we do? Because they all seem to be, they being movements and, and different things seem to be actually doing something. Okay, so here's what you can do as a Christian. Okay, one, you can, in coming back to Jesus, okay, you can lament. You can lament. We do lament. Now, it's something that the human spirit really wants to do. Okay, it, it just decries things. My children, for example, okay, give an example. Uh, my children, when there is an injustice done, when one of them hits the other or steals something, what do they do? They cry out, and what do they do? They run over to me. They run over to me and they're, they're crying out and saying, this is an injustice. And sometimes it, it was something that just happened randomly. Okay, nobody's really to blame, but they, they need that comfort. They need that assurance. They need that hope that there is something greater that sees this and knows what is going on and, and may be able to actually do something about it. And that you, Christian, have the ability to do. You can lament. The world is lamenting, okay? Uh, the movements that we see around us are lamenting in a way, but they don't necessarily how to know how to do it with God in mind. Okay? An example of that, when my children get mad and I'm not around, you know what they do? Or even if they disagree with me, maybe they're having a fight with me, you know what they start doing? Destroying things. I'm not kidding you. I'm going to throw this cup off the table. I'm going to knock over a chair. I'm going to move the couch. I'm going to rip up a paper. And they get destructive. 
And then what do I got to do? I got to come in and like stop them and clamp them down. Okay. Now I'm the authority figure and they're like, look at what, look at what Papa's doing. He's stopping me from being angry. But you know what they still do? They still find mama. Okay. There is a third party that they could go to that says, I have been through this. And then I go and I say, I have been through this as well. Okay. So we see that in our riots. And we see that in these protests and we see that in, in the police's side where it's like, hey, they're throwing stuff at us, man. This isn't cool. They're yelling at us. And on the other side, we say, we want justice, right? This is a, an atrocity, right? But in either case, they're just yelling at each other. There's no third party. But as a Christian, you can actually go and lament what you see before you. I understand it's hard. You see men on the floor being choked out. Yeah, what? You get angry. I get angry too. The whole world get angry. But what do we do? We can lament. That's the first thing that we can do. We can actually get on our knees and go to God, like in prayer, okay? Second thing that you could do is pray. Okay, And I know that some of you are like, yep, see, this, this is where I stop listening. This, that's it, man. Okay, this is all spiritual matter, right? You think that prayer is a small thing? Really, let, what can you do? Okay, you see the systemic racism. You're going to jump in your time machine and fix it? No, you're not. You can't. It's impossible. Are you going to go throughout the whole world and look into the souls of every single man, woman, and child and say, oh, that's racist seed. I am No, you can't. These are ridiculous. But you know what you can do? You can pray. You can ask your Father in Heaven who ultimately does hold the sword, who sees all of these things, to bring righteous judgment, to bring grace, to bring healing, how many people actually prayed for the guy who killed George Floyd? Mm. No, I condemn him to hell. Mm. What did Jesus say to do to your enemies? Pray for him. Pray for his soul. He's going to pay one way or another. There are consequences, right? I'm not saying I'm going to do anything. <laughs> okay, I'm not threatening here. I'm saying that he must stand before a judge and a jury. He must stand before an earthly judge and a heavenly judge. Pray for his soul. What if he changes? What if he repents and says, yeah, I was racist? Were you not a sinner before you came to Christ? And I'm not saying that that justifies. I'm not trying to get you to sympathize and say, oh, maybe it wasn't so bad. No, it was terrible what happened. But don't get carried away and forget who you were called to be. Don't compromise and say, you know what? Forget all those Christian values about loving your enemy and seeking peace. Okay? I know it's not easy. It's not an easy time. And the voices are very loud. But in the silence, lift up your aching heart. You can pray to God who is connected to his church, to his people, in every community. You could pray for empowerment and encouragement. You could pray for the, the local body of believers to come alongside one another and to make a difference. You could pray for your co-workers. You could pray for your workplace. You could pray for your parents. You could pray for a spirit of equality. You could pray that God will inspire you to rise up and do something. So don't limit it. Turn back to Jesus. Turn back to God. Don't keep following after these other things that have all of these promises that this will bring healing, this will bring uh, education, this will bring delight. Turn back to Jesus. You can lament. Turn to Him with all of this outcry. And then begin to pray. Pray for your enemies for a change of heart. Because think about it. If the whole world were to just turn to Jesus, would there be absolutely equality? Yes. Do you want that? Well, I, I do. We know that that's not the case. That's not the story that's written that every everybody, well, all knees will bow, all, all, all tongues will confess, sure. And all eyes will see that Jesus is Lord. But we know that not everybody will accept that. But that doesn't mean we don't try. That doesn't mean we don't pray. Lament to pray. And thirdly, if you're still, man, it's not, you know, I'm tired of the church's stands. Like it's all spiritual. It is spiritual, Okay. It's in the very spirit of man. It's the outside influences. It's the inside influences. 
But third thing that you could do, you can organize small groups. You can organize discussions. You can open your mouth and talk with people. Again, we've had Word of the Week for five weeks, five straight weeks talking specifically about racial inequality. There's many other things that you might want to talk about, whether it's politics, whether it's religion, whether it's outreach, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's sex, whether it's drugs. We can set those things up. You have the power to set those things up. You have the power to say, you know, what does the Bible have to say about it? What does God actually have to say about it? And what are the different views? How can I, how can I talk with other Christians and other non-Christians about this? How can I bring Jesus' healing word into this world? There is no antidote right now for coronavirus, and there is no antidote for sin other than Jesus. Okay, They can make a vaccine for coronavirus. They cannot make a vaccine for sin. It's a, it's a disease that is much, much more devastating than you think. And when we give in to all of these other temptations that say, you know what, this is the only way to usher in blank. Okay, they may be helpful, but that's not the end of the story. It's not going to fulfill uh, the perfect, loving kingdom that we see Jesus ushering in. So repent. And there's three different things that you can do right there. Okay. Verse 17. Okay, repent, otherwise I will soon, was verse 16, sorry, repent, there, otherwise I will soon come to you and I will fight against them, okay, those who are holding these teachings. And if you are holding these teachings of compromise, of saying it's no big deal, or of compromise saying, you know what, I'm free in Christ, I'm just going to go, and minimizing Jesus and, and going all crazy and just, you know, doing, following the crowd. And I'm not just talking about BLM. I'm talking about whatever. I've seen many of you following many different things and saying, well, no, I think it's okay. I'm still a Christian and being all cute and following after all of these other teachings around you that say it's okay to be Christian and also party with us and also have sex with us and also just, you know, lie a little bit to other people it doesn't matter it's a good business overall we mean well we give to charity okay there's many different things many different opportunities for you to stand up and say no that's not right that's not what my god told me my god is the true god okay my sense of security is not in anything else many opportunities for that and jesus will come and correct these things Verse 17, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, in other words, hey, you a Christian? Listen. Listen to this. You claim to be mine? Indeed you are. Now listen. To the one who is victorious. In other words, to the one who overcomes these battles, these struggles, these temptations, these pressures and expectations to, to pursue anything other than Jesus first and to compromise your faith. In other words, to break away from the promises of Jesus and say, no, but this looks so alluring and maybe it's okay to have Jesus and this to those who overcome and say no to everything else and who win those battles. Okay, here's what the promise is. Listen to this. I will give some of the hidden manna. All right, I guess it doesn't sound so cool up front. Right? You're like, I get food? What does that mean, the hidden manna? Here's where some of the symbolism comes in. It's actually not just symbolism. It's, 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 well, it is symbolic and you don't get literal what it bred from heaven, whatever manna is. What is it? Manna means what is it? It's from the Old Testament. It's when uh, God was, was leading the Israelites away from Egypt. And at the time, people were so hungry saying, man, when we were back in Egypt with all that idolatry, with all of those other competing kingdoms, with all those other ways of life that we were told about, I was so hungry and I wanted those, those, those leeks and those onions. Mmm, so yummy. But what God did was he made bread literally fall from heaven and say, I will, I will sustain you. This is something that you don't even know about. This is a whole nother world that the world cannot offer. Okay, can you go right now to the store and say, oh, oh, manna's on sale. No, you can't. It was a thing that was very unique for the time. And it was God's way of saying, I'm going to take care of you. I have something that the world cannot offer you. And it is sweet and it's delicious and it will fall every morning for you if you are able to get up and go and get it. And what they did, what the Israelites did when they constructed the Ark of the Covenant, they put some manna in there as a remembrance 
always of who truly is in charge. And as you come over and over before God to reassess your heart, he will tell you yet again, I have something for you that the world cannot offer. You are mine. And he gave them his very word. And Jesus comes, the Messiah, the true Savior, the true healer, the true counselor, the true judge, the true victor, the true king comes and says, I am the manna of life. I am the bread of life. I offer something that nothing else in this world, as organized as it may be, as compassionate as it may be, there's nothing more compassionate than me. As true as the logic of this world will sound, there's nothing more true than this because it's straight from heaven. Okay, to those who are victorious, they will get that special manna, that special substance, substance that comes straight out of God. In other words, when you repent and you turn back to God, over and over when you say, and we could do this as a nation, okay, I don't believe that it's just an individual thing. Okay, we need to repent of slavery in this nation. We need to repent of systemic racism. That's something that we never properly did. And to turn back towards God, we need to say when we come back to God as a community, as, as a church family, as the big capital C church of all believers, and as individuals, we need to be able to come before God and say, God, open up our eyes and expand our heart. But check out the rest of what verse 17 has to say. Okay, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And what does this mean? What is this white stone business? Like, cool. So I get some unknown food and a rock. <laughs> I guess it's a white rock. That's unique, I suppose. The white rock, uh, it could have meant several different things. And one, it was given uh, to those who have an innocent verdict. Okay, if you were declared innocent in a court of law, they would cast a white stone before you and say, we say that you are innocent. And it would be the proof that, hey, I am not no longer guilty. And that's very true of us in our identity of as Christians, that we are not under any condemnation from from Jesus. Okay, so for those who persevere, okay, who do not give in to the forces of this world and stay true to Jesus, and don't compromise even 1% and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow after this. I follow after Jesus and I will seek the peace of my brother, my neighbor, of, of those around me. And I decry all of these things and, and I lament and I help others to do the same. Okay, And I'm more of an influence to the society around me than the society is an influence of them. That I'm bringing more Jesus into the society around me than the society bringing uh, themselves into me. For those that know that identity, then they are declared innocent before Jesus, before the throne of God. They understand that Jesus died for their sins, and now they live for him. We could also look at it from another way, and I think it may be closer to this, though the other does still apply. Um, it, it, a white stone was also given to those who were gladiators or other people in combat or battle, when you win, or even athletes, it doesn't always have to be battle, it could have been an athlete as well, would be given a white stone as sort of a, a, a voucher of like, hey, you won, here, you are the winner, you get the white stone, now you get to enter into the banquet. There would always be a victor's banquet, where there is this great feast uh, that would only be reserved for those who were winners uh, of whether it was combat or wrestling or running or whatever it was. Uh, that was your ticket in, okay? was to have this white stone. But check it out. It says not just you get the white stone, but you get a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. This was a very individualized, personal, personal thing that Jesus would hand to you. It has your very name on it. And it's not just your name. It's the name that he gives you that only you will see. Now, when you're renamed in uh, by a sovereign or by a king, and we see it throughout scripture and throughout history in general, when you're renamed something, that, that is a claim of ownership by the sovereign. We see it several times. Look at Genesis. We see Abram being renamed as Abraham. Okay, God renames him. Jacob, renamed as Israel. Jacob meant like liar. Okay, But God renames him. And so he remakes him and gives him a brand new identity. 
okay, when you are named personally by God. And so what Jesus is saying is those who overcome, those who are declared, you are declared innocent, you are declared a victor, and I am giving you a whole new identity. It is a welcome gift. It is a ticket in. And it's reserved for you. Okay, those who overcome those things. All of these different things that are going to try to vie, vie for your, I hope I'm saying it right now, <laughs> for vying for your heart, vying for the way uh, of truth and healing. Okay, give that, give all of these things, surrender all these things to Jesus, the true king, the loving king, the one who sees all of these things, will judge all of these things, and will truly empower his people, his church, to create change. That is going to be fair. That is not going to be corrupt. That is going to be centered on God and his love and his kingdom. Okay. So that's my hope for all of us that we're able to, to listen deeply to the pains of this world. Not just to be bench warmers. Okay. We are certainly called to be in here, but the way that we love can be the way that we demonstrate that truly Christ is Lord, the way that we love one another, the way that we listen to one another, the way that we seek something that is even better. Can you imagine as an outreach opportunity to just show how, how life could be truly under a loving and relational God? I recently had a conversation where I was able to evangelize with somebody who um, believed that each people group, white, Asian, black, Hispanic, all had different sort of uh, gods like, oh, you know, Asian. So you're Buddhist. And uh, I, I get he said, I think he said white people was Jesus, which I'm like that. I was confused. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Jesus was a Jew, but, you know. Uh, you know, and, and so he's like, yeah, you know, so, so I believe that God kind of appears in different ways, in different forms, just to tell you that he's there, you know, to different people groups. I'm like, that's interesting. So what do you make of Jesus calling himself God? Because Muhammad and Buddha, uh, you know, they, they didn't say I'm God. And he was blown away. He's like, Jesus called himself God. I'm like, mm, yeah, that's, that's kind of got him killed. I mean, he said, I'm the Messiah and you know, I'm God, <laughs> And, and he was blown away by this information. He just couldn't believe it. He's like, and I said, what do you think that, how do you think that changes things? And he couldn't even answer. He's like, I, I have to really think about that. I'm like, okay, well, for one, if he is truly God and invites all people, all people into relationship, a proper relationship with him, okay, on God's terms, okay, not mankind's terms, but by grace, by love, by faith then that's kind of a game changer. And he agreed. And I said, you know, if Jesus truly died and rose again from the dead, then that's not just salvation insurance. It's not just, you know, where you're going when you're dead, but you know, when you're going, you know, where you're going while you're alive. And he was just blown away by that. He said, well, then I guess that, wow, that is different. I really have to think about this now. Okay. That's the beauty of it. That God, comes into the flesh as the person of Jesus Christ to say, hey, for those who are aching hearts, who those who see that there is terrible things in this world, who see that there are so many different ways to do things, hey, let me tell you something. There is actually a way that you were built to live. There is a true identity that you really have that, that I hold in my hand that I will give to you. If you follow after me, I will show you the way. Okay? I will show you the truth and I will give you the life. So church, please be wise, okay, as you move forward. Okay, there's going to be a lot of different things in this life. This is just one cultural moment, and this is a big one. This will go down in history, of course. But please, please, please be wise as you move forward. Check your heart as, as you are getting emotionally charged. I understand. It's tough. I'm not above it either. I hear sermons. I hear things. I'm like, but, but what about, but what about, but what about, right? That's hard. But what I am saying at the end of the day is repent, turn back to Jesus, see what the word of God has to say. Let that lead. Let that lead. Don't let the world influence you more than Jesus. Okay. 
But let Jesus influence you and let you, okay, let yourself influence those around you in pointing back to, to God as the ultimate solution. Okay. Let's bow our heads and spend some time in prayer. Uh, this message is a, probably a big one. I don't know how much the edited time is. Again, thank you, Kayla and the team who are putting all this together. My camera like burned out like, I think like 10 times. I'm not sure how many times. It's been like two hours I've been standing here. Uh, maybe an hour of it is this sermon, but either way, let's come before God and see what he has for us in our hearts. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much um, that you are objectively good, that you are objectively loving, that you are not a God that says, hey, you should fear, you should be insecure, but you are a God who truly is of love. You are truly a God who sees all sin individually, corporately, through history. You are a gracious God in giving us so much time to repent, so much time to come back to you. Lord, I pray for, uh, for my brothers and sisters who are struggling right now, who are being tempted and pressured in a cancel culture to say a certain thing, to be a certain way, to dress a certain way, to promote and re-tag or whatever it is in order to fit in. Otherwise, they are threatened with judgment. I pray that they know that they are truly uh, judged by uh, only, only a sovereign God. But that judgment of sin has been cast upon Jesus. God, I pray that you will guide us as, as a, a faithful witness into this world. I pray that you will sustain us. I pray that we will be able to have open and honest conversation with one another. I pray that we'll be able to show the world that there is truly another way and that there is a God who is truly sovereign and who truly loves more deeply and more compassionately than anybody else ever could. So will you empower us to speak the truth and to be able to listen deeply in love? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond in worship in a time of offering, a time of singing, and uh, maybe a time of messaging one another and saying hi.